Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. This week on the podcast, I have my friend Josh on as guest. I think y'all will love the discussion. Uh, we started out talking a little bit about Alaska just because he was giving an intro about himself and that's where he's from. But when we got into the meat of it, what this episode originally was supposed to be more on was the goodness of work, not just the goodness of work to make a paycheck, but also the goodness of work for other reasons as well. And we kind of started out on that, but as the episode went on, we branched out to a lot of different things. So that's why I think I'm going to save that title, the goodness of work for a future episode at some point and go more into some of the things I had in mind here that we didn't get to. And instead just uh, title this episode, don't be lazy exclamation point i think it's still really good i think that kind of maybe fits a little bit better a little bit better the general wide variety of things we covered in here and yeah i hope you all love this episode and that you listen all the way through to it so let's jump in all right i am here with my friend uh, josh nelson i'll let josh give a little bit of an introduction and we're going to be talking about uh, a godly Christian view of work. So I'll let you give an introduction about yourself, Josh. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Jeremy. So my name is Joshua Nelson, and I hail from the great state of Alaska. And now I currently live in western Pennsylvania. So I'm, I was an Alaskan, and now I'm a Pittsburgher, I suppose. Uh, got married about, oh, coming up on four years now. And uh, moved this way to be with my wife. Uh, she has three boys from a previous marriage, so we are here for the duration. And we now have a lovely home in Beaver, Pennsylvania. Uh, and we have a, a beautiful little 14-month-old baby girl. And we just love it here, actually. Uh, my wife thought she'd never love Pennsylvania. And we, it's grown on us, so... Uh, we're especially loving it right now because it is a, a nice, cool fall, which uh, I don't know if uh, you know this, but we don't have four seasons in Alaska. We have two. It's winter and construction. That's about it. And the uh, construction season exists in the summer for about three months, and then you're right back into winter. So not to talk about the weather, but that is a big part of my gro growing up is growing up in the tundra. And then experiencing beautiful short summers in Alaska and and then right back into the winter. So we are living the dream here in Pennsylvania. Were you far enough north to get to where for like a few months you only get like an hour of daylight and all that crazy stuff? No, no. I I, I mean, I worked up that way. That's You're talking about Barrow. Barrow actually surprisingly has 5,000 people that live in it uh, year round, which is pretty crazy. But it's right on the Arctic Ocean. So it is, uh, it gets down there. Uh, I would say now when people think of that, they think it's like dark, dark. Um, 
and then all of a sudden, boom, it's, it's light for an hour and then it's back to being pitch black. And that's that's kind of not the case. There's about like a four hour swing where the sun will start to come up, but you don't really see the sun. It's more like hazy and and dusky. And then it gets to get brighter and brighter. And then you get about an hour of actual daylight and then it goes down. So I don't know how people do it year round, but I guess they're, they're used to it. So they live up that way. But yeah, you go up, you go up pretty far north. It'll, it'll get pretty wild you go the more north and the more west you go in alaska the more it becomes like national geographic you have to fend off polar bears and and ravenous foxes and mosquitoes the size of birds and uh, it's not a place i would recommend to live uh but people do so Okay, I got one story to tell about Alaska before we drive our listeners crazy so after that we can get into the topic. So I grew up with the uh, Korean Karate Academy of Allen Park, Michigan, the uh-huh. one of the oldest Tang Sido clubs in Michigan. And we have a sister club in Juneau, Alaska. Uh-huh. And so some I never went up there, but some of the guys there, they would go and spend like a week at the club in Alaska and training with the masters there and stuff. And so my master, he told a story about like the first time in like the 80s or something, he went up there and you would just basically stay at the house of one of the masters from the juno club and the guy uh tells him hey we got bear up here so i'm gonna let you borrow one of my guns while you're up here and he opens up his gun cabinet and my master said he had everything from handguns to if this was any bigger it'd be an anti-aircraft weapon amen and uh, so he says he grabs a little uh handgun and he's feeling good about himself and Mm. then several years later he goes up there for like his second or third time visiting and the first night, the guy gives him a book about bear attacks, and he stays up super late reading this book. And the next day, when the guy opens up the gun cabinet and lets him pick which gun he's going to borrow while he's there to protect himself, he grabs the biggest gun in the gun cabinet. Hmm. Yep. That's Probably still wouldn't take. have helped him if a bear was charging him, though. Yeah, I mean, brown bears, they're... You can get up a tree or away from them. Usually, they'll leave you alone. But black bears, they don't care. They don't care. They'll uh, they'll find you. They run pretty fast. They go up trees. Yeah, I mean, Juno, Alaska in the 80s was wild. It was like the Wild West. If anybody's seen it, it's called the, uh, I think it's called Ice Cold or. Ice Road Truckers? No, not, you're not talking about No, that. no, no, no. This is, a, this is like a B movie. It's got like Nick Cage and um, yeah, I can't remember the other actor's name that played him, but it's based off of a true story called, uh, about the uh, the butcher baker. He's actually the um, the nation's uh, biggest serial killer, and he lived in Anchorage, Alaska, and he owned a bake shop in Anchorage. And surprisingly, my mom lived about oh, three blocks away from the the baker shop, so she would go down there and she would you know get bread and donuts and. He was kind of a odd little man, but he was really nice. Well, it turns out he was picking up prostitutes on Fourth Avenue and then flying them out in his little Cessna plane into his, into Knick, uh River, where it's like that's kind of more towards where I lived at in Wasilla. And he would land a, land on the river and he would go to his cabin and then he would hunt them. It was it was I mean they he's convicted on twenty something murders, but they think he killed up to like. 100 people it's it's and they're buried in alaska like in these woods it's it's wild but the movie's based off of that and so if you ever watch it it's like out cold or it's not out cold but something anyway that sounds like that story i had to read in high school called the most dangerous game he maybe was inspired by that story i don't know 
Probably. But I mean, if you want to get a picture of what Alaska was like in the eighties, watch this movie. And again, it's, it's actually pretty good for a B movie. If you can get past, you know, Nick Cage, my wife like hates Nick Cage. So she won't, she won't watch it, but you'll get a picture. And my dad talked about this. He talks about this. He said it was just absolutely the wild west. It was, it was like no cops, barely. There was no, no governance. It was just, it was running and gunning. And so uh, I was born in the eighties, uh, but I don't remember much of the eighties. So uh, I'm glad that I didn't have to experience all that, but Alaska is a much different place now than it was back in the eighties. So I can only imagine what Juno was like, which is landlocked. You can't get it. You can only get in there by uh ferry or plane. You can't drive in or out of it, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I'm getting into the topic uh, that, we're going to talk about we want to talk about godly work and um, mm-hmm. i'm sure it took a lot of uh hard work for those people living in alaska in the 80s connecting all the dots there but godly work because you know we know as men we're supposed to provide for a family so of course we need to work either owning your own business or working at someone else's business for a paycheck to provide for your family and if that were the only reason to work that alone would be sufficient because the bible says he who doesn't care for his family is worse than an infidel. And the context there is really talking about extended family. So if scripture can say that talking about your extended family, how much more true is that for your immediate family, for your wife and kids as a husband and father? But there's more to work than just working to get a paycheck. There is a God-glorifying aspect of work. So I want to talk about that and kind of let you take the lead on what direction you want to go with that. Sure. Well, I mean, everything that you said is 100% correct. Like it is, it is innately woven within every man to have a purpose and work regardless. Uh, This idea of retirement is not only insane, it's nonsensical. Now that doesn't mean that if you can't work, like if you're not able-bodied and you're elderly, well, of course, nobody's going to put a shovel in your hand. But at the same time, if you are able-bodied, doesn't really matter what age you are. Um, you should be sowing in one way or another into the kingdom. And, and the re- and the reality is what you're doing is sowing into the kingdom if you are a blood-bought believer. Mm. Everything you're do everything you're doing. I mean, on on a pure base level, you're bringing home a paycheck and you're supplying for your family and that and you're putting a roof over the head and you're and you're putting food on the table that's like the bare minimum honestly right i mean at the end of the day that's the bare minimum you should be doing so if that's what you're doing then you need to ask yourself well is there a purpose in in what i'm doing is there something i'm sowing into the kingdom for right and and the reality is nobody's really asked themselves that kind of question they are status quo non non-conforming kind of apathetic towards towards this idea of moving beyond the paycheck and if you really sat down and asked yourself okay what what am i doing beyond just the bare minimum uh a lot of men would probably tell themselves uh, well what i'm doing is is not fulfilling to the to the most capabilities God has given me to sow into the kingdom, um, 
and and that looks different. There's like there's no right or wrong. I don't I I don't think there's no right or wrong idea behind that. It's just a matter of asking yourself well, what are what are you doing that's uh, providing for your community, um, your neighborhood. I mean, you can start there, right? You can start there. What am I doing that's bettering my neighborhood? I mean, we don't. We live in an area where we live in a time and age where people don't know their neighbors. They don't know their neighbors. They don't know their community. They're not involved in, in the politics of their city, let alone their state. You know, everybody's so invested in the the presidential debate. Uh, they don't even look to their own communities. And if they really kind of got back to that and asked themselves, okay, well, what am I doing that's working towards? not only bettering this kind of on a surface level, but like I said, kingdom work, right? Like opportunities to build a legacy for your family, opportunities to minister and evangelize your neighbors, opportunities to um, bring about Christendom in your local community, your local city. Um, I mean, we both know that where we stand eschatologically, eschatologically uh, but I, I am in the, in the same camp. I'm a post-millennial and I believe that uh, all these things matter for the generations to come. And if, if you're not asking yourself what your work is doing in that capacity, then, then you're just, you're just skating by. Um, you're, you're the least in the kingdoms, so to speak. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the least in the kingdom. <laughs> like, I don't want to get to the end the end of the days and stand before a holy and righteous God and then be like, well, I gave you all of these opportunities and I gave you all these abilities. What did you do? You know? Yeah. Stand before God in that day and say, you did the bare minimum. You yeah. provided for your wife and children. And yes, providing for your wife and children is very important and is growing the kingdom as long as you raise your children in the discipline instruction of the Lord, as scripture says. But, you know, if it's, Basically, at that point, you just kept your five talents. You didn't go and make five more like the five and the 10 talent guy in the story did. Yep. Yep. I I, I agree. And so that's and that's kind of a sore subject, I think, for a lot of men. Because they've bought into this idea that we need to live the American dream. Yeah, your white picket fence, two kids, yeah. your wife is pregnant with the third, and you're hoping to put enough money in your 401k to retire at 55. Yep, and in vacation occasionally, you know. And don't get me wrong, I mean, there there are times, that, that is something I think I have to battle daily, honestly. I mean, comfortability is something I have to battle daily. Um, if you're, work is, work is actually uncomfortable, honestly. It's fulfilling, but it's uncomfortable. And so you should live in this constant state of fulfilling, exhausting work. And that doesn't mean you're digging ditches all the time. I mean, it could be, you could be laboring at a, at a desk at a computer. You could be, who knows, telemarketing. I, I don't know. I don't know anybody would want to be a telemarketer, but if it's a job, it's a job, right? And you should be continuously laboring and continuously falling into bed every night exhausted. I think I was reading Toby Sumpner one time and he talked about that. And he was talking in the, in the concept uh, in the context of men that fall prey to pornography, but what, but what he was getting at is you should 
fall into bed exhausted every night. Like yeah, be whooped. too tired for you to be tempted with something like pornography. Yeah. yeah. And if you're asking yourself, am I doing enough? And, and this is where people get uncomfortable because then they automatically conflate. Well, you're not working for your salvation. Well, no, nobody said that. I'm secure in my salvation because of Christ's finished work on the cross. You know, now we're beyond that. We're, we're beyond the milk of the word. We're, we're chewing into the meat right now. We're listening to the commands of Jesus saying, go, therefore, and disciple the nations. And disciple the nations looks uh, on, a, on a base level, of course, discipling them in all that I have commanded you to and giving them the gospel and, and teaching them the pages of scripture and, and so forth. But there's a lot that goes into discipling the nations. I mean, if you really think about it, especially if you're post-millennial, right? Like if we're going to really disciple the nations, there, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, entire structures, institutions, you name it. And that takes all walks of life, putting the hand of the plow and doing their part, whatever it may be. You know, if you're just a old mill hunky like me and an operator, and lived doing construction his entire life, or if you're a brainiac that can whiz through all sorts of computer data and stuff that I have no idea, like coding, <laughs> we need all walks of life doing whatever they can to uh, press forth the kingdom into into the here and now, like uh, until the day we rest or the day that the Lord comes back. And like I said, I think I said this before we started recording, it's such a dichotomous relationship between that. It's it's an either, it's always an either or, and it's not an either or, it's a both and, you know, it's both and. We are both saved and secured in Christ's finished work on the cross, and we need to go work. I mean, the, the reality is, when Adam and Eve were punished in the garden, and I say punished because, well, I'm not the first one to say punished. Uh, Dr. Michael Heiser made that point in his book, The Unseen Realm. Um, he cursed the ground. He cursed the serpent, but he punished Adam and Eve. And he punished the two things that bring him the most glory. With women, it was bearing children and with men it's work and he didn't take them away he didn't make us unable to do them he just made it harder and then he said go do it still he repeatedly be fruitful multiply yeah and you picked up on something there you said he made it harder because i think there's something Probably listeners of Theonomony already know for the most part, but a lot of broader evangelicalism in America might not realize this. Work is not a result of the fall. Now, the parts of work that suck, yeah, those are a part of the fall. But Adam and Eve had to work before the fall. Adam had to go till the ground or, you know, do whatever. Like he he had the Garden of Eden, but he was supposed to go make the entire world like the Garden of Eden and even make the Garden of Eden better. God didn't make the world perfect in the sense that it couldn't be made better in any way. 
he made a very good world. He says so in Genesis 2, but Adam was to do work to uh, build upon it to reflect the creator God that Adam made in the image of God is supposed to be a lowercase c creator. And so I think that kind of might be at the root of it that we think work is this product of the fall that we're trying to get away from rather than work is this good thing that existed before the fall and it's just harder because of the fall. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've read this book. It's um, actually I listened to it first and then I bought it. Don't tell my wife because she would lose her mind if she knew that I was listening to books and then buying them. So, <laughs> or doing both. Um, uh, it's called Plowing in Hope. It's actually, I think, on the Canon Press app. But of course, it's got a, a definitely a post millennial bend to it. But he touches. Is that a Doug Wilson I, book? It's not. It's not a Doug Wilson book. And I can't remember the guy's name now. Um, but he touches on essentially a lot, a lot of what we're talking about. And he was at a, I think he was teaching somewhere. And uh, maybe it was a conference breakout session of some sort. And he talked about how we are moving from the garden uh, and into the city that's portrayed in Revelation. And of course, he had some guys stand up and he argued that, no, 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 it's going to be the garden. We're moving back to the garden. So they kind of had this open open debate in the middle of this, this breakout session of some sort. And okay another with garden gentleman. hyphen city, but it's not from yeah. garden to garden. The garden of Eden, as my father-in-law has said, the garden of Eden was the starting point. Because of the curse, it went downhill until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And at that point, it now starts going uphill again until the end is actually higher up than we started from in Genesis 1 and 2. Yep. And that's and that's what uh, one of the, he mentioned this in this book, one of the guys stood up and said, how about a garden city? And so he was, he said, I, actually, I, I like that. And so he kind of expounded on that same idea of how there are, are good blessings that come from God through man that we enjoy today. And it'd be, it'd be silly to think that God is just going to wipe away all of that. Right. I mean, if we really believe that all good blessings come from God and we really believe that God is strengthening us and, and giving us perseverance and endurance to do this work, and we know that it's by the spirit, not by our own uh, abilities. Um, it would be it'd be silly to think that God would use mankind to plow all that out and then go, all right, we're done with that. Uh, I, I'm kind of a firm believer that we're moving into the Garden City. Um, and it, it and whatever that looks like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's fun to speculate on. Of course, you can't for sure say what it's going to be exactly. But uh, we can for sure say that it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of hard work. And if we're all just doing the bare minimum, then... I, I don't know. I mean, we live in a day and age where, of course, we we think as Americans, like the world revolves around us and this is how it is everywhere. And that's just not the case. Like you go to other countries and people are working very hard. Uh, 
you know, bot, blood bot believers that are working extremely hard. You know, they've got missionary groups all over the world that are uh, evangelizing and helping build entire cities of Christians. And they're doing everything they can. Uh, and we in America, we're, we're just living fat and happy. And we think, well, we're just going to continue to do the, the status quo ante and, and kick our feet back when we hit 55 or 60 and then, and then we're good. And uh, that's just, that's just not the case. I think we were, we were actually at uh, G3, me and Brandon and Craig and Jack. And uh, we sat and listened to John Piper. We all went in and listened to John Piper talk. And he was, he was, of course it was on missions. The entire conference was on mission. This was, however many years ago. And uh, John Piper was harping on that. You know, he got to the the people that were his age and they were, he was essentially calling them out saying, well, instead of preventing your children or your grandchildren from going out into the world and discipling the nations, why don't you go with them? You know, if you're going to miss your children and your grandchildren that much, go with them. Of course, everybody in that everybody in that crowd was like, "Oh, like especially all the the older congregants were like, well, well, yeah, I suppose you're right. Maybe maybe we should. Like, what what are we doing? You know? And and again, I'll say that with a caveat. Like, if you are unable <laughs> to do to do the work because you're physically unable, and nobody's gonna put a shovel in your hand and tell you to get back on get back in line and 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 start putting in some hard labor like you you've earned you've earned your time to to maybe sit back a little bit and have have somebody in your family taking care of you and th- and that and that kind of goes into that what you mentioned earlier as far as extended family if you're doing the bare minimum to supply for your family and your wife and your kids well what about the extended family? Like, what about the, what about your parents that are in the, in the old folks home? What about your aunts and uncles or your cousins that need help? Right. Like instead of shucking them off or dismissing them, why don't you open your home up to them? And what would, what would we be met with? And when, if I asked somebody like that, I would say, well, I can't afford that. Well, okay. Well, what do you need to do to make that happen? Or do you need to cut back on to make that happen? What, what more What more can you do to make that a, a possibility? I mean, that's something I wrestle with daily. I mean, my mom is getting up there in age. I mean, she's not anywhere close to that. But I think about that daily. And I talk about that with my wife. Like, when my mom is old enough and she needs to be taken care of, she needs to come live with us. And my wife is completely on board with that. And the same thing with her parents, right? Like we have a big enough home that we can house enough people here. Now we don't have a big enough income yet, but we are working on investing our money properly and saving our money properly and working so that we can have the ability to do those things, right? Yeah. And not just think of that in terms of like, oh, I have to do it, but also think about the benefits of it. Like if you spend the last 30 years of your life, basically on a really long vacation, you're wasting all of the wisdom you have gained throughout your life by just having fun when 
when you get to that age where you're elderly and you are physically incapable of working, well, live off of the money you had saved up when you were younger because you were anticipating if God blesses you with enough years that you would come to this time. But also don't just watch TV from sunup to sundown during that time. But like, you know, disciple your grandkids as they're growing up, your great grandkids, maybe younger people at your church and teaching them the wisdom you've learned with your old age. And when you're bringing your elderly parents or grandparents into your home to take care of them instead of sending them off to a home. Now you have mm-hmm. someone living in the house 24 seven who uh, has earned that gray hair mm-hmm. that Proverbs speaks highly about and can be teaching your children uh, wisdom that you don't even have get yourself because you don't have as many years under your belt as your parents do. Mm. Yes. And, and, and that's interesting. You mentioned that we, we have, small group here at my house on Wednesday night for my church. And we were just having a conversation about kind of influences, friends that you have in your life. And the, the reality is we have taken, I hate to say this, but we've taken this capitalistic transactional ideology and we've applied it everywhere now don't get me wrong i am a capitalist <laughs> i am 100 in favor of entrepreneurialism capitalism but they're tools to further a legacy they're not they're not ideologies you need to apply everywhere and that's what mankind has done and they've done that in their friendships they've done that in their family everything is very transactional uh what can i get out of somebody what if I'm going to spend time with this person, what how are they going to benefit me? Right. And I as I always do, I rabbit trail rabbit trailed a little bit. But I, I mentioned that the gray hair, the beauty of the gray hairs, right? It's their crown and glory. And in ancient civilizations, especially Israel, they they sought after wisdom. And the, the most revered uh, and the most honored amongst them were the elderly because they had lived so long and seen so much and studied God's word that they were, it was an honor to bring your parents into the home so that you, they could do exactly what you just said. So into the next generation, so into you, so into your children, so into your your grandchildren. If they live that long and they have, they can see their great grandchildren. And I, I I made that as a point because we can't. It, it's not transactional; it's relational with these people. Uh, these people, I mean, like the elderly, right? Like I'm not just getting wisdom. It's a, it's not something I'm going to hold and grab. You know, it's it's a it's something that I'm going to acquire through living life with these, with, with, with your parents, with your grandparents. Right. And I said, if we apply that to the rest, because at the end of the day, like the elderly can't offer a lot, right. You can't bring them in and be like, all right, you're gonna have a job and you're going to help pay for the house. And, and I, and I need you to pick up and I need you to do the laundry. And when, when you're, you know, get a chance, change the baby's diaper. Like they're, they're not cap- like a lot. I mean, they might be, but a lot of times when they're kind of at that age, you know, it's, it's a lot slower and 
you know, you're not asking them to do those kind of things. And so you're, you're not going to gain a lot of monetary gain out of these, out of, out of the elderly. Uh, and if you applied that kind of mentality, that kind of, that kind of mentality where you want to live with, with the elderly because, or seek out the wisdom of those that have gone before you to the rest of your relationships and, 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 and including work, right? Like if we just look at work as transactional, like I'm going to give you an hour of my time and you're going to give me money. Well, not to be crass, but prostitutes do the same thing. I mean, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to be crass, but at the same time, I'm going to give you an hour of my time and you're giving me money. And when you really think about that, that's, that's depressing. And, and, and there are some times, don't be wrong, Jeremy, there are some times where you have to just suck it up and do some real hard work to make the paycheck because you got to make ends meet. But that shouldn't be where you stay at. And, the, and, and what I'm, what, what I'm kind of getting at is if you're not looking at work so transactionally, but in a sense, kind of relationally, uh, because it's innately woven within you, then you start to ask, well, what are what are other aspects that I'm going to benefit mentally, spiritually, emotionally from from doing, and not just physically, right? From doing this work. Well, a lot of people would look at their work and go, well, I'm not gaining anything more than just a paycheck out of this, right? Like it's not, I'm not gaining anything more. I'm I'm not giving more to the kingdom. I'm just doing the bare minimum to get the paycheck. And again, I'll say this for anybody in the audience. Sometimes that's just what it has to be. I've done that. I have. I had to do that when I first got married. I had no money to my name. I was broke as a joke. I was single. I had lived a single life for a very long time. And I had to take a couple of stints up on the oil fields. And that's really what it is, right? Like I'm away from my family. I'm away from my wife. And I'm on the oil fields working uh, in the cold tundra. The northernmost part of Alaska, you know, to make enough money to get my family started, and I did that for three months almost. And I came home, and my wife said, "Never again. You are not doing that again." Uh, and she and, and the reality is, is if I had to, I would, but I know I don't want to go back to the status quo ante. I don't want to go back to the bare minimum. I want to look at what I'm doing as something meaningful, something. And I keep saying this, something that's sewing into the kingdom, you know, it's sewing into the leg and, and it really, it, it work bleeds into every facet of life. It bleeds into what you're doing. I mean, your, your kids are watching what you're doing. Your grandchildren will be watching what you're doing. Your wife is watching what you're doing. And if you're just looking for the job, looking for the paycheck, that is seen by everybody that's close to you and everybody that's you know, kind of in your circle. All right. So that was the interview with Josh for this week's episode. I hope this was encouraging for you all, gives you some new ideas or maybe uh, uh, put some fire in your bones to actually do things that you knew were good, but you weren't sure if or how you could do them before. So now you're going to try to figure out a way. And yeah, overall, like I said, I hope this episode was encouraging for you all. So that was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, 
I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Satisfies me Your law is sweet Oh, you say